Cool. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 9 right now. So I'll just give you a, a quick update on what's going on. Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount, and now we get to watch his life to see if he really practices what he preaches. And surprise, he does. Okay, so uh, uh, we've been watching him heal. He's healed a leper. He's, um, uh, he's healed the paralyzed, uh, a guy who was paralyzed. He's, uh, he's uh, healed a bunch of people. He's uh, cast some demons out of some guys. He's done a lot of different stuff. So now we catch up to him, and we're going to look at four healings in a row. And we're going to see, you know, when I first read this section of scripture and I had to preach on it, I'm like, okay, Jesus can heal people. I think everybody kind of knew that already. So what, what are we going to see? And the Lord began to open my eyes to see what these four healings had in common. And so uh, we're going to go through kind of a, a, a lot of scripture right now, 17, 16 verses. So stick with me and uh, let's check this out. Watch what happens. Oh, before I get started. He's at a party right now. That's what we talked about last week. While he was saying this, he was talking to the Pharisees. A ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all of that region. You can imagine. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and they spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons he drives out demons. Those Pharisees, always trying to spoil everything. So what's going on? Jesus is surrounded by people. Surrounded by people all the time getting interrupted. He's trying to do his ministry and it's just one interruption after the other. I want to show you two things about Jesus and then two ways we respond to Jesus and how he is, okay? The first thing is that Jesus is approachable. Jesus is approachable. Constantly being interrupted, constantly being challenged, constantly being bothered, being woken up, have you ever been busy with something really important? If you want to see me at my worst, yeah, okay, you guys are like, oh, we have. No, I know. Yeah. Watch me preach. No. Uh, if you want to see me at my worst, watch me do a, um, like a household uh, repair. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at it. And so I'm totally focused on what I'm doing. 
and I, I don't want to be bothered because it's important. You know, swapping out a garbage disposal is like the most important thing you can do with your life. And so I'll be working on it and Jesse will come up. What are you doing? You know, and at first I start out so patient. I'm like, a, I'm amazing. I, I'm like, I'm like, a, you should videotape it and sell DVDs. I'm just like, oh, Jesse, I'm replacing a garbage disposal. What's that do? Well, you, when you put the, why don't you just throw it in the trash? Well, because, Jesse, you got, you know, and you go on, all of a sudden, you know, hey, make yourself useful. You tell them, grab me that screwdriver, the Phillips head. Which one's the Phillips head? It's the one with the star on. There's no star. Not a star. It's like an egg. Get out of here, right? <laughs> you can't, I can't stand it any longer, you know? Or I'll tell them, you know, you know, hey, just turn this a couple times, you know, and turn it. Give me that thing. We, we, we got to hurry, right? Now, imagine if your task is to bring in the kingdom of God. This is Jesus. I mean, he's got, he's in constant communication with the father. The father's telling him what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say. And there's just people everywhere. And they're not just people. They're really immature people. He's got his disciples he's trying to raise up. He's trying to raise up those leaders. They never get it. And he's got these Pharisees like little gnats just bugging him about every little thing. But he's still approachable. You can still go to him and go, what are you doing? Oh, I'm healing this guy. Oh, really? Why are you doing that? Well, because I'm bringing in the kingdom. Really? I, how come he didn't do this? What are you, you know? he, doesn't, he doesn't mind. He's totally approachable. He's constantly surrounded by people. Look at this. When he was saying this, he's at the party. When he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him. Just then, a woman came up behind him. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. This is, I mean, this is a busy day. I, I don't have days like, you know, I don't come home. At least doesn't say, how was your day? And I go, oh, oh, oi, because he was Jewish. Uh, I don't, you know, oh, I was... First, I, I was trying to raise this girl from the dead, but then this gal kept bugging me about their bleeding issue and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I had to stop doing that. And then she died and I healed her. And then the blind guys kept yelling at me. And it's not like that at all. It's all in a day's work for Jesus because people come first and he's approachable. We see that he's approachable by anyone. Remember last week we were talking about Matthew. Matthew was the chief sinner of the town. He was the guy. He was the town tax collector. Right? The lowest of the low. And yet, he goes to, G, uh, he goes to Matthew and he calls him. He's t- he does not mind being around Matthew. Then he's approachable by the sinners at this party. So here he is with all these sinners. And you go, oh, that's his ministry. And then this Jewish ruler comes up. It says a ruler. But if you look at Luke and Mark, because they tell this story. His name was Jairus. And he was the ruler of the synagogue. High, high spiritual position. So you got Matthew, the lowest of the low, and you got Jairus, the highest of the high. It makes no difference to Jesus. And I would submit to you that we all here fit within those parameters. We're either the best Christian in the world or we're the lowest of the low. Didn't matter. Jesus set the bookends way far apart. He doesn't care. Listen, Jesus always has time for faith. 
If you have faith that Jesus can do something, he's got time for you. He's approachable. He always has time. On the way to Jairus' daughter, he stops, has time for this woman who just wants to touch his cloak. She's, he heals her. He, heal, he raises the girl from the dead. He's on his way. Some blind guys are crying out, David, uh, son of David, have mercy on us. He's got time for them. A demon-possessed guy comes. He's got time for them. If Jesus was approachable then, and he was, he was God trapped in this human form, how much more approachable is he now? He's got all the time in the world by the definition of him being God, right? Right? He's not, he's not limited by time. He's not limited by space. If he was approachable then, how much more approachable is he now? Well, I'll tell you how much more approachable he has because it is because the writer of Hebrews tells us that. He says, look... We don't have a high priest. They're talking about Jesus. We don't have, because he's writing to the Hebrews here, these Jewish people. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us. We have a high priest who can totally sympathize with us because he was human and he was tempted in every single way and yet without sin. And then it goes on and it says this, let us then, because this guy can understand us, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is approachable. He's totally approachable. We go, well, I, I can't go before God and ask for help. You don't know what my life is like. I, I'm sure it wasn't any different than Matthew's. It wasn't any different than uh, the prostitute that came to Jesus and Soaked his feet with her tears. Anointed him with oil. He was approached by her. Jesus is approachable. We approach the throne of grace with all the confidence in the world. Confidence that we're worthy? Absolutely not. Confidence in him. He's approachable. The second thing is, Jesus is powerful. He's powerful. Look at this. He turned and saw her. This is the woman. And the woman was healed from that moment. He says, uh, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. Then he touched their eyes and their sight was restored. A man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. Jesus is power. Not only is he approachable, but he's powerful. He's got all the power to heal. He's got all the power to forgive sins. Remember, that's what happened with the, when the paralyzed guy comes and they lay him down for Jesus. The first thing he says is, take courage. Don't worry about it. Your sins are forgiven. That power is way greater than the power to heal. As a matter of fact, he says that to the Pharisees, which is greater for me to say. Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. So that you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, get up and walk. They're blown away by that. If Jesus was powerful then, how much more powerful is he now? Now, again, before you guys go, well, he was God then, he's God now, he's not much more powerful. He was limited in this human form then. Okay? He could only see so many people at a time. He humbled himself and became a, 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 a human at that point. So look at, look at this. Look at what Ephesians says. This is how 
This is where he is now. They're talking about Jesus. It kind of cuts in the middle of a sentence, but you'll get the idea. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. That's how powerful he is. Far above anything you can imagine, President of the United States, President of the world, whatever. He's far above it. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. If he was powerful then, imagine what he's like now, seated at the right hand of the Father. As a matter of fact, in Jude, Jude only has one chapter. That's why it says Jude 25. I should have just put 125 in. What's the difference? Oh, anyway. Uh, to the only... <laughs> you know, wow, that was interesting information that has no practical purpose whatsoever. To the only God, our Savior, be glory. To the only God, our Savior, be glory. Majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all the ages, now and forevermore. This is the kind of power he has. Before the foundations of the world were even created, he was there. And then all from Adam and all the Old Testament, New Testament, all the way up through everything to now. And from now all the way to forever. That's how powerful he is. That's the kind of authority he has. And then finally in Revelation, which is talking about the forevermore. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Amazing. Now, think about this. He's totally approachable and totally powerful. We typically don't see that. For those of you who are new, we've been talking for a couple months about these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world, which is down here, everything you see, and then the kingdom of heaven, uh, which is what we call up here, but even up here doesn't work because I haven't even reached the balcony yet. But you get the idea, okay? There's the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of the world, as you gain power, you become less approachable, right? That's the whole point of being powerful. You get to buy what you want, do what you want, act the way you want. You're, you, no one can touch you. No one can talk to you. That's the way the world goes. As a matter of fact, I put some pictures up here, some powerful powerful people. Uh, that's Oprah down there. That's, that was awesome. I picked that one just because I just love it. Uh, that's Kim Jong-il in the middle, uh, prime minister of North Korea. Bill Clinton. I love that picture of Bill Clinton. That is awesome. Brett Favre, he's all over the news, right? These are the powerful. Decision makers, newsmakers. You ain't going to talk to any of those people. Maybe some of you have. Oh, no, I did. I ran up to Brett Favre when he was one time and he was so nice or whatever. But you're not going to call him on the phone. Right. All these people are powerful. They've they've reached a certain level, but they're not approachable. They all started out approachable. Somebody was changing Brett Favre's diapers. Right. Somebody walked up to Bill Gates when he was seven years old in elementary school. and said, What do you want to be when you grow up? You know. He's like a geek. Like, oh. <laughs> you can do it if you put your mind to it. <laughs> S- 
So those people are powerful, right? They started out approachable. Now they're not approachable anymore. These people, these people, uh, you'll recognize a lot of them. That's Rick Cree on the bottom right. Lisa said to me, who's she? I'm like, that's Rick Cree. <laughs> so. Right? We know all those people. All these people are totally approachable. You could probably go to any one of them and say, hey, can I talk to you? Can we go out to lunch? Or can I, if you're buying, they'll go with you. I have every single one of them. Except for the one, the bottom left. He doesn't look very approachable, does he? That's Denny. He's on our board. Now you know what I have to go through there. No, he's approachable. They're all approachable, but they're not very powerful. Okay, I mean, I love them. I, I like them to be powerful. They can do whatever they want. They could all run a country if they wanted, I suppose. Right? Totally approachable, but not very powerful. Jesus was ultimately powerful and totally approachable. See, his kingdom, what he was doing was establishing God's kingdom on earth. He was showing everybody, look, when God's kingdom comes and his will is done, there's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no sin. God's going to be completely approachable and powerful, right? It's not going to be like this. And so Jesus comes and he's totally approachable and totally powerful. I want to I want to read a section of scripture and 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 it's out of the the message version of the Bible. And the reason I, I'm using this version, because I, I started reading it out of the NIV or the whatever, another version. And uh, and then I was like, OK, how can I explain this? And then I read it out of the message and I'm like, I don't need to explain it. This is it. Check this out. This describes our savior who's both powerful and approachable. It's out of Philippians chapter two. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. See, all those people we saw before started out approachable, but then when the money came and the power came, now they're not approachable anymore. You can't just walk up to, you know, ring Oprah Winfrey's doorbell and, have her look at pictures of your kids. Trust me. I don't know what her problem is. Right? You can't do that. Jesus starts out the most powerful. And it says he humbles himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Praise God, we have a God who's both approachable and powerful at the same time. That's a gift. That's a gift. Because it doesn't have to be that way. So what do we do? What does that mean to us? Okay, we're looking at these, we're looking at these healings. We see that Jesus is approachable and he's powerful. What does that mean to us? Well, the first thing is Jesus is approachable. We must be persistent 
Jesus says, according to your faith, it's, it, it will be done to you. And you can look at these different healings that we've seen so far and see the persistence in them. Again, the paralyzed guy shows up at the house and it's packed. Have you ever wanted to go to In-N-Out Burger? You were dying for like a double-double and you're driving up. Yes, exactly. Uh, just say amen. That's all you have to say. Amen, brother. Yes. You want this double-double? And you drive up and you're like, oh, the line goes way outside the door and you go, oh, I, I'll, I'll go to Carl's Jr. instead or whatever. Now, how much more these guys show up with this paralyzed guy and it's just packed and it's like, oh man, we can't, we got, we're carrying this guy, we can't get in there. They're persistent. They work their way all the way through up to the roof, open a hole and drop Jesus down. Why? Because Jesus is approachable and they knew he was powerful and so they became persistent. In getting to Jesus. The ruler of the synagogue. This guy Jairus. He had to come. Persistently. Had to break through the crowd. Jesus at a party. Then Jesus goes. And they find out. If you read the. There's three gospel accounts of this. When you put them all together. Essentially he on his way. They come and tell him your daughter died. She was sick but now she's dead. He's got to be, come on, come on, Jesus. We can do this. Be persistent. This woman, this woman with the bleeding problem in Leviticus, it tells us that she was unclean because of this problem. Okay. I won't get into all the issues of what the bleeding problem was, but you can imagine I'm just not into talking about stuff like that. All right. She fights through the crowds. In, in one gospel account, it says there was just a crowd packed in imagine jesus walking and there's just people everywhere and unclean this lady who's had this problem for 12 years unclean fights her way through and says if i can just touch his cloak persistence why because he's approachable these guys these blind men it says they were on the side of the road. So they're following him going, son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus walks all the way down the road until he gets into the house. And then he talks to them. They could have given up at any time. And I would have understood. I would have given up. They were persistent. Listen, Jesus is always calling me. I want you to write this down on your outline if you're taking notes. Write this down and look at it this week. Jesus is always calling me to further and further into relationship. He's always calling me further and further into relationship. Check out this guy, Jarius. First of all, well, we'll get to the, how he had to humble himself. But you got to understand, this guy's got a 12-year-old daughter and she's sick. I have a 12-year-old daughter. Okay? And so, because we know that when Jesus got there, the flute players and the wailers were already there, we know she's sick and he, he, he's just going, she's going to die. And so he makes it all the way to Jesus as a last-ditch effort. Now, imagine you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, my daughter's sick. Please do something. And he gets up and he starts going. And you're on your way and you get stopped because Jesus says, who touched me? This is what happened. And if you read Luke, the woman touched him and Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, um, I don't know, everyone. <laughs> I mean, you're being told you're surrounded, Jesus. And he's like, no, no, who touched me? 
Now imagine if you're Jarius and you're like, uh, Jesus, dying daughter, hello? And Jesus said, hold on, Jarius. I, I want to take you a, a step further into relationship. I want you to wait there while I deal with this person. Now this person, this woman, was a woman, first of all, so she was a lower class, okay, back in that day. She had a, a problem, a bleeding problem, which made her unclean. She was not, everything she sat on was unclean. Everything she slept on was unclean. Everything she touched was unclean, according to Jewish law. She was not allowed in the synagogue. As a matter of fact, Jairus' job as ruler of the synagogue was to make sure she didn't get in. And now she's holding up the healing of his daughter. See that? Jesus is calling him. I want you to go deeper. I want you to go one more step. Okay, you came to me. That was great. But now we're going to stop. One more step. Come on, you can do it. So the lady reaches out and she touches Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh man, he, it says in one gospel, he felt the power go out of him. I mean, what a, Jesus is so cool, man. I love it. So he, he, he feels the power goes, uh, goes out of him. He stops. And it's not enough that he heals the woman. He wants her to go another step. And he says, who touched me? Oh, man. This unclean woman who's got to do all this stuff. I did. Yes. Another step. Another step. These blind men, they're coming They've got to get up. They're on the side of the road. They've got to get... I'm tripping over everything up here. And there's nothing here. I, <laughs> gosh. These, these blind men... Ah, you know. These blind men, they're on the side of the road. And the whole time they're crying out. Jesus is walking. They're crying out, Son of David, have mercy. Have mercy. And he's like, one more step. We're almost there. We're om- we almost made it to the house. I'm going to heal you at the house. You can do this. One more step. And let me say something, church. A lot of us right now today are in a spot in our life and God's going, one more step. Come on, you can do it. No matter where you are in your relationship with God, he's not satisfied. You know, even me. I quit my job. I became a pastor. Whoopee, big deal. Jesus goes, oh, that's fantastic. One more step. I want, I want you to f- have faith in me for something else. And then something else. And then something else. And you go, well, then what's the point? The point's relationship. He's always going to get us further and further into relationship. He's going to keep saying, come on. Yeah, we're going to do this, but here's what's going to happen. It's going to be on my time. I want you to take this step, this persistence. He talked about it in Matthew chapter 7 when we went through that section of Scripture. Now, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Woo! Man, if we're an American, we love that. This is the kind of service we demand from Jesus. I want my Burger King hamburger. I want a half an onion on the right side. And then I want a half a tomato on the other. Don't let them touch. There has to be a centimeter, right? If you hear me, go order a drink at Starbucks. This, I'm going by this verse. I'm asking for exactly what I want, right? But when you look at the Greek wording of this, it's not like that. It's just, essentially, it's saying ask and keep on asking. Keep on asking. Let 
this relationship refine itself. When you seek, keep on seeking. What is it you're really looking for? What's the barrier of why you're not finding? What Jesus is more interested in this relationship, this journey, than just getting a quick fix right at the end. And we see it with these people. He's drawing them closer to himself. He's drawing this out. It's going way longer than it needs to go. I mean, seriously, all he's got to do is do an I dream a genie and it's all done. He can do that. He's all powerful, but he's interested in something else. So it says, ask and it will be given you. Ask, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking for whoever asks, receives, whoever seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. One more step. One more step. God wants us to take, where are you in your relationship with God right now? You might be going, you know what? I don't know. I don't even know if there is a God I'm seeking right now. One more step. He doesn't want you there. See, I've been a believer for 70 years. Great. He doesn't want you there. One more step. Persistence. Because he's so approachable. See, he doesn't mind you keep coming to him over. I've already done that, John. I've already gone to him over this issue in my life. That's the woman, 12 years. She's been like that. 12 years. It says in the other gospels, we know a couple things about her. One, she spent everything she had on doctors. And she's worse off now when she comes to Jesus than she was before. Luke didn't write that because Luke is a doctor. He just said the doctors tried everything and couldn't heal her. (laughs) Mark is like, hey, Luke, look what I wrote. (laughs) In your face, doctor boy, you quack. Right, so we find out some more things about her. Amazing. Man, that would just be enough to touch the cloak. And he's like, no, it's not enough. Who did it? I want you to st- stand up. He goes on and says, which one of you, if his sons ask for bread, will give him a stone? So ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Take another step, another step, another step. God's going to give you exactly what you need. Because he's approachable and he's all powerful. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. Second thing. Jesus is powerful, so we must be humble. We must be humble. Jesus accepts everyone, okay? But there are blockers that block us from approaching him. Okay? Jesus is totally waiting for you to come to him. But it's our pride that stands in the way. It's our sin that stands in the way. Now, think of how these people, each one of them, had to humble themselves. Jairus had to walk through the line of Pharisees to get to Jesus. He's a religious leader, the the, the ruler of the synagogue of Capernaum. And he's got to go through these. He's dressed the part. I mean, he's I have this. These nephews, they're not really nephews. It's my friend Don, his two sons. Um, and, and one of them is a, a, a Broncos fan and one of them is a Chargers fan. Uh, and, and a fan does not even begin to touch the tip of the iceberg of how much they're immersed in those two teams. I mean, they can tell you what any player had for breakfast on any given day. Right, they just know everything about them. And so you can imagine... In, in this house, you've got one, you open the door and it's like, oh, the Denver Broncos. Everything's Denver Broncos. 
It's like Denver Bronco air gets pumped in somehow. And then you go into the other kids' room and it's chargers, everything from the bedding, all everything is chargers, okay? So the one kid, the charger kid, he gets invited to this charger party with the players there. You get to meet the players, get, get all, all, all this stuff, you know? I mean, it's glorious. And the other kid gets invited too. Now he hates the chargers, hates them. And so they show up and the Chargers are like, hey, buddy, how you doing? He's just like, oh, if I could, I could just uh, stab one of them or whatever. He just, and he's taking pictures and he's like, mm, you know, just can't, right? That's what Jarius, Jarius has to go in and essentially go to a Charger party while the Denver Broncos fan club is sitting right outside. That's what it's like. And not only that, he's got to humble himself. It says he bowed down and worshiped him, which means he either fell down like this or he started kissing his feet. Imagine that little boy going up to Ladanian Tomlinson and just going, oh, Ladanian Tomlinson. Ugh. Jarius had to humble himself. Then he had to stop what he's doing for some lady that he probably makes sure isn't in the synagogue. Humbled himself. The woman totally unclean, has to humble herself, has to somehow get to Jesus. As she comes in, every, oh, oh, gosh, what are you doing? She knows this. She knows how she looks. But if she can just get to Jesus, and then Jesus says, who touched me? And she's got to raise her hand in front of all those people and say, I did. Very humbling. Imagine being blind on the side of the road. And Jesus walks by and you've got to all the way down the road, yell, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Terribly humbling. I'd get to about two son of David's and then I'd be like, dude, you know what? Fine. They kept going. They kept going. Look what first Corinthians says here. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame. Uh, uh, he chose the, uh, to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. See, God wants us to come humble. We talked about it last week. We don't just have a need. You know, here's our life. I've got my life. I'm all dressed. And yet I got this little hole in my life. There's something my marriage isn't working or I lost a job. And I go, hey, I'm going to put a little Jesus on that and see how it works out. I'm just going to put, I'll put Jesus is kind of, I'll put that. Jesus was saying last week, oh, I'll just tear that up. You got to replace the whole thing. You've got to, you come, they talked about wine and wine skins. You, you, don't, don't, don't just try to fill up your life with me because I'm going to break through it all. I'm going to ruin it. I'm going to, it's going to get jacked up. What you want to do is you want to be a new creature in me. You want to come humble. You, I'm all powerful. The way you are right now, you can't contain me, but I've got something better that can contain me. If you would humble yourself, I'll change your life. I will radically change your life. That's what he's saying. That's where he is. First Peter 5, 6 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. 
You see that? The humility with the power? That he may lift you up in due time. Everybody say due time. That's hard when you're praying, is it not? Isn't it hard? Lord, I need a new job. I ain't saying in due time, Lord. I want one now, okay? And God's going, one more step. One more step. We'll get to that in due time. Casting all your anxiety on him because here's the big part. He cares for you. See, the scary thing about humbling ourselves before God is, well, what if he just squashes me? What if he just forgets about me? We cast all our anxiety. We come before him. We say, Lord, I cannot do this. I come, what? Poor in spirit. We talked about it from the very beginning on the Sermon on the Mount. I come poor in spirit. We are in love. We are in love.